The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The Gospel of the Lord. Dear Lord, the empty tomb, please let us see that we may better follow thee. Amen. We know well that there are 40 days between Ash Wednesday and the celebration of the resurrection. There are also 40 days between that resurrection and Jesus's ascension into heaven. And as far as I'm concerned, I need every single day of that 40 days to come to understand what the resurrection means and how we should go about making it part of our lives. And indeed, the readings today uh, really help us with that. You recall the uh, clever milk advertisement. Uh, and I'm going to say, got Jesus? Question mark. And I'm going to say, get Jesus, exclamation point. Got Jesus means that we come to understand the empty tomb and what that means for us. Get Jesus means what are we going to do about that wonderful news which our Lord did on our behalf. In the reading from the Acts of the Apostles, which is the second chapter of Acts, you remember that at the very beginning of that chapter, the burning winds and the spirit-filled tongues of fire enter the Apostles. So this is a chapter uh, in Acts which is trying to set the stage for what Christian life is like. And the 
generator for what Christian life is like is the Holy Spirit. After the crucifixion and the resurrection, it's almost as if it is the Spirit that begins to take over and enliven the hearts of the apostles and all who seek to follow Jesus with the guidance and awareness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we see here in the Acts that certain themes are brought up. One is because God died for us all, we are all in common in that bond of love. And because of that, people who perhaps were weaker or more frightened or maybe even more violent are placed at an equal level as everyone else, all other good Christians. There is no distinction between these groups. I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but our dear friend and servant of this church, Frank Bradshaw, uh, died unexpectedly on uh, Monday from complications arising from acute leukemia. And we will have an opportunity to think more about that, and Tony will speak to you about those arrangements. But for me, for me, what is wonderful to behold is that over the 20 years that I knew this man, I, I knew he was a wonderful, God-faring person in the community, in the community of not only this church, but in the community of Christ. And everybody who knows him knows exactly what I mean. I am sorry that uh, our Lord uh, didn't hold off for another week because, of course, tomorrow is the 40th anniversary of the Walk for Hunger. And, um, you know, that was his. He nailed it. He had it dead center, right? He was the biggest fundraiser, and he was in great shape because he used to walk home from here uh, to the Bailey's house. I'm sorry he's gone. You know, it's funny. He told uh, David Bailey the following. He said, you know, when I die, I think what's going to happen is I'm going to be with all the people I love, all my relatives, all my friends. And I think God's going to just remake me, remake me so that maybe all the little things that aren't quite right in me will be made whole. And what, what more could you say about what heaven is? What more? So Frank is gone. But I emphasize to you that the community of the church that is spoken about in Acts, that is real. It is palpable. And it is for us to understand and to act upon. First, Peter has multiple statements about how we as Christians are to deport ourselves. And they're a little disturbing because, in fact, they say suffering is part of Christian life. It isn't sort of like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to stand up and be a martyr. No, it's suffering is part of being a Christian. It's no big deal, quote unquote. I mean, 
well, I don't know about you, but it would be a big deal to me, but, you know, but I'm saying that's kind of the idea in that statement. And also, the power of, of Peter's testimony um, in verse uh, 38 of this second chapter, Peter says, what should be done? He's speaking to the apostles. I mean, what a heavy question. What should be done? What should we do? And, of course, he does have a good answer, which is that you repent and you be baptized and you open yourself to God, uh, our Father, and Jesus Christ so that you may serve him. That's what he says. That's what is to be done in the post-resurrection period. That's what we do. That's what we do. But in addition to that, the attention is brought that the tomb is empty. And as I was saying, got Jesus, the tomb is empty. We have to understand what that means. And I believe that the main uh, overwhelming emotion that should come of that isn't sort of like, yeah, I knew it. It's not that. It's gratitude. Because we were marked for death. We were marked for death. We don't know that, much like the story of the poor man who jumps off the Empire State Building. And as he's going down, uh, rapidly reaching the top acceleration speed, a man looks out his window and he says, what are you doing? What's going on? How, How are you doing? And the guy says, I'm doing fine. As he passes the 43rd floor. It's like we are deluded in our awareness of our need for Christ. You know, blessed are those who know their need of God. I think sometimes because we say, ah, it's a long time ago or it's hard to get into it, it just passes over our head. And I think St. Peter helps us, you know, draw attention to that, that this is something that is crucial, that it's absolutely (coughs) a basic thing that we understand the sort of the mechanism, you know, of salvation, you know, Like, I don't know, we're in NASCAR, and we're zooming around, and we're going to get to the finish line. But first, we've got to look into the engine of salvation and make it our own. Making it our own is what happens in this 40-day period. It does. And it's not necessarily uh, some kind of exalted vision, or it's, it's, I don't think it is that. It's that you know that the Good Shepherd has you protected. You know that, and because of that, it can inform your actions. You can be a little, a little happier. You can be a little more honest. You can be a little quieter. I think this gift from God in the empty tomb maybe allows us, oh, I don't know, in my case, two or three seconds before I say something I really shouldn't have said. You know, you get a little time to think. I think that's part of what I think that's part of what the resurrection is. You know, it's trying to make you better. You know, and that's what that's what Peter is 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 talking about, that uh, we um, have to suffer. It's true, but it's for righteousness sake. Absolutely. For righteousness sake. And maybe that even we can't comprehend. We can't comprehend this event. And, you know, it occurred to me, I was thinking about, well, what other kinds of events uh, happened in human history that wouldn't be the same but might be close? And I, it occurred to me that th- this story is, uh, is, is quite amazing. There was this um, 
there was this priest uh, who was a canon of a cathedral in uh, eastern Poland. And he wasn't uh, any kind of, you know, super guy. He was just there and he did his work. And in fact, he had medical training, so he used to treat the indigent um, with their medical problems. Uh, but in addition, he was a, a mathematician. And his name was Copernicus. And Copernicus wrote several different tracts, but the one that he wrote that changed the world, completely changed the world, was in 1543, he published a book called On the Revolutions of the Celestial Spheres. And this book essentially put forward that the universe of Ptolemy, the great astrologer of ancient times, was incorrect. That the earth was not the center of, of the universe. The sun was. And after making this discovery, uh, unfortunately, uh, 1543, which was the year that this incredible book was written, he died in that year. And in fact, there's one or two very interesting books about <laughs> what happened to uh, that piece of text. And I can just suffice it to say that uh, it didn't quite have the impact that you would have expected. Sort of like the resurrection. People just didn't get it. And it took another man who uh, lived in Italy. His name was Galileo, who was also a mathematician and uh, he was uh, uh, an astronomer to actually produce a work which uh, had something of a longer title. I don't know quite why, but uh, and that was called the, a dialogue concerning the two, the two chief world systems, the Ptolemaic and the Capernaum. And as we all know, um, this uh, this writing, which again said that the sun was in the middle of the universe, got him into trouble. He wa he was sanctioned by the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, and it was said that um, his writings were false and erroneous. And uh, he was prosecuted by uh, the Inquisition uh, and the Jesuits. And remember, this was an uneasy time for the Roman Church. Uh, he, wrote, he wrote this book in 1632. And uh, there was a great move at this time of Protestantism. And so the Roman Church was pulling back. And uh, basically... What, what the inquisitors said was that mathematical models, which is what Galileo was proposing, had no bearing on our physical reality. Mathematical models had no bearing on our physical reality. Um, it occurred to me that perhaps some of the statistical data that uh, the Federal Reserve Bank was doing might be exactly the same in terms of the word recession. In any event, so these ideas have been around for a while. We, we understand this. But uh, in the end, uh, Galileo uh, did actually say that he rejected his own writings. And he was going to be imprisoned for life. And he had a friend in uh, Pope Urban VIII who uh, decided that he'd let him stay out his, the last days of his life uh, at home. Uh, in his uh, estate at a, at a place called Arecchio, which is outside of Florence. And there he stayed, and he died in 1642. But by then, the cat was out of the bag. No longer then was our universe ours. 
we were not the core of the existence of that. It was changed. It was now the sun. And we moved around the sun. It's a completely different concept. Impossible for the people then to really understand. And so, sort of like the resurrection, it required many, many attempts to clarify things before people began to understand it. I think fortunately, because it was a scientifically proven mathematical uh, theorem that was true, uh, this, this idea that it couldn't be correct uh, dissipated very quickly, though there were many who uh, refused to accept it, much like um, the uh, Victorian clergyman who, at the publication of Darwin's uh, On Species, uh, said, Dear Lord, I pray that this book be not true. But, Lord, if it is, Please, Lord, let it not be widely known. (laughs) So that was the prayer of the Victorian clergyman, indeed, also of the Roman Church, but it did no good. The truth will out. And so we hear, finally, of the Good Shepherd. And the Good Shepherd is a very powerful image, obviously, for the time of Jesus in the Near East. Uh, looking after animals was very important, and usually sheepfolds were attached to a house with a gate, and there was usually a hired person called shepherd, who, um, at least traditionally, uh, if you remember the stories about the shepherds in the hills around Bethlehem, were not of the most salubrious character. They uh, were a little uh, uh, wild. Um, in any event, though, Jesus can come in and out through that gate. That's the only way we can come in and out, is through him. Jesus, therefore, gives us entry to that empty tomb and its understanding and the resurrection that comes with it and the forgiveness of our sins. It is also Jesus who leads us, leads us forth, just like they said. I I find this a little difficult to believe, but in fact, uh, sheep being what they are, the shepherd would go in front of them and the sheep would follow? I don't don't know. I I would have thought you'd be in the back, but this is actually the way they did it uh, in the Middle East. And the the shepherd also had a series of whistles or calls which he used to identify each of these animals. And so so it is with us. It's like, I believe, uh, not wanting to cross metaphors, but I believe that God is in our DNA and in our RNA, And all he has to do is speak to us. He knows our name, each and every one of us. And, of course, what we choose to do with him is perhaps more to do with us than to do with him. But he can call us by our names because he made us. He made us. Jesus also is the one who protects us. And he protects us to the extent that he will die for us. That's the final thing that this good shepherd does and why being a shepherd is a wonderful analogy for, you know, how do we get Jesus? How do we understand what's going on? He was willing to lay down his life for the sheep and he was willing to die so that we may be born again in righteousness. And that is what completely convulses St. Paul. Every single page of Paul is filled with this huge gratitude. And, of course, he's a little over the top. He's my kind of guy, actually. But, 
But still, still, every page is filled with this amazing, amazing ecstasy, even when he's in bad times, that God has done something for him that he could never do for himself. And he wants to be there to help him. And I just think that's very exciting. Now, I, I know for myself, I know there are days I don't feel like you know, doing anything like that. But, but nevertheless, this is our chance. We have a chance. We can be grateful. We can love the Lord. We can live in community. You know, we, can, we can say to Frank, we're sorry you're gone, but what a wonderful man you were in, in Christian service. All the things you did, all the things, all the people you talked to, everything. We can also know that God did die for our sins and that suffering is part of part of our lives. And finally, much like the huge dawning of an age of Copernicus and Galileo, uh, who, by the way, the Roman Church um, forgave, I think, in 1993. Um, Not until then. I'm not kidding. I'm not sure of the exact year, but it's very recent. But Galileo and Copernicus have showed us that there are completely new and wondrous things which are ours if we but hold on to them. And so for all these things, I I think we say, you know, got Jesus, got Jesus. And if you got him, if you understand that empty tomb and we're being given an opportunity to do so today, how about getting Jesus? How about getting some of his spirit and Working so that we can all be uh, better and more loving in a world that desperately needs it, does it not? Amen. Amen.